0: Hi and welcome back to another episode of the Room and Room Podcasts. As always, it's great to have you join us for another of our ruminant nutrition themed podcasts. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a New Zealand based veterinarian and nutritionist who works for PGG Rights and Seeds, based here at Kimihia Research Centre in Lincoln, Canterbury, in New Zealand. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about all things to do with hot and bothered lactating dairy cows. This is the second of a hot and bothered theme on farm that we've put together, given the recent spell of really hot weather experienced by many of us around New Zealand over recent days. Now, in the first of the hot and bothered themed podcasts, that was episode number 43 we chatted about how hot temperatures can really bother our pasture species with an emphasis on the more commonly grown temperate C3 pasture species that you'll find across most of our pastures in New Zealand Uh, and we had that emphasis on perennial ryegrass and white clover. But we thought carrying on the theme of hot and bothered things down on the farm, for this podcast we're switching the focus away from the pasture species themselves instead to the topic of how hotter temperatures, and indeed humidity for that matter, bothers our lactating cows. Now to talk us through hot and bothered cows, today we have a really special guest with us, the very talented Laurie Grinter. And welcome, Laurie, to the Room and Room podcast. Great to have
1: you join us. Thanks, Charlotte. It's great to be here.
0: Look, Laurie, we thought that what you'd be able to bring to the discussion for us today is just the how heat stress bothers cows, and most importantly, what we can do at the farm level to help our poor old hot cows out. But most importantly, Laurie, first up, we'd love to hear about you, what's your background, and how was it that two years spent in Kentucky in the US set you on this amazing journey of all things to do with heat stress?
1: Thanks, Charlotte. So a bit about me. I'm based up in the North Waikato. I'm working as an area manager for NutraTech, and we mostly sell things like trace minerals, um, live yeast, silage covers, and inoculant, and things. So Mm -hmm. um, I like working with them because they've got research product with um, good return on investment. My background, I did an undergraduate here at Waihero, I just did a biology undergraduate and then I went on to do my master's with dairy cows so that was doing a master's of animal science at the University of Kentucky over in the States. So my master's I was able to do and it was all funded by Dairy Master who have a collar that measures ruminating, feeding and resting times and you might know Dairy Master from things in your cow shed but they do have this behavior monitoring collar as well so the first part of my master's I needed to do a validation study to check that the collar did actually work and uh, recorded what we were seeing as the cow's behaviors and then I went on to do this heat stress study that I'll talk a lot more about today Both of my studies I'm proud to say I have actually got published in the Journal of Dairy Science so if anyone is a little bit interested to go on and have a bit more look into what I've done uh, you're more than welcome to just search that one in the Journal of Dairy Science and it should pop up for you. So the heat stress study, I looked at using free choice soakers which were like showers set up outside the barn so remember this was in the States and we're all in barns there And we set up a little area outside the barn next to their pen with a motion sensor and a shower head. And we put a shade cloth up there. So it encouraged them to go out in a similar sort of environment to the barn and access this free choice soaker. We wanted to look at free choice soakers because there is quite a bit of individual variation of how cows cope with heat, Mm -hmm. even though they might be the same breed. um, We have breed differences, but cows do experience it quite different to their herd mates. So we wanted to have a look at that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, We had three real purposes, I suppose, of what we're trying to get out of this study. We wanted to look at the effectiveness of cooling, so how well these soakers did Did you know how well they cooled down the cows? did they cool them, and how well we wanted to look at the voluntary use when soaking the cows outside of the pen out the cow shed so as well as that voluntary one at the at the barn that we had, mm. we would walk them through a cow shed soaker um and that was sort of to understand you know is soaking them a couple of times of the day around milking is that enough, or if they were given the opportunity, would they like a bit more? And lastly, we wanted to understand a little bit more about the relationship of um, voluntary use of a a soaker or seeking heat alleviation with temperature humidity index or the hot environment. So to do this study, we used behavior data loggers. So we included that collar from Dairy Master, but we had a couple of other ones on there as well. Um, We had a fancy milk meter in the shed that looked at yield and milk components. Mm -hmm. And we had 24-hour video surveillance I was fortunate enough to watch about three months worth of video footage of these cows (laughs) showering to collect the data. What we do, eh? So just jump through into the findings of this. Um, So the findings of my study, there was a huge range in voluntary use. So we Mm -hmm. had a range of 0 to 227 cycles of this five second shower cycle so they would walk out of their pen go under the motion sensor and that would set off the shower for a five second cycle and they actually learned a little sort of waggle dance type thing. <laughs> and so they could stand there and continually set off after that five second cycle went. They could go again. So that's how they managed to get 227 in a day. But oh, amazing, that range just, I think that sort of indicated to me that maybe some cows want, whether they like it or they need it, but they wanted more, you know, more showers than, than the others. So mm-hmm. it was quite interesting. The soaker use did alleviate some of the heat stress symptoms. Um, Some of the things that the soaker use alleviated included respiration rate, rumen temperature, Mm -hmm. rumination time, resting time, steps per day, and daily milk yield. So I'll get into explaining some of those symptoms and what all that means a little bit later. But it's just Mm. interesting to note, you know, we measured all these things. What, What did that soaker use actually change or not? Yeah. So the the next part which I think is quite interesting here in New Zealand because obviously the biggest opportunity for us to give any water to cows on most of our farms anyway is at the cow shed. Mm. And so when we gave them the soaker at the cow shed it didn't statistically change that voluntary use back at the barn when we didn't give them The cowshed soakers, on on average, you know, over the course of the study, they would take 15 voluntary showers with no cowshed soaking. And when we did the cowshed soaking, there would be on average around 12 voluntary showers Mm. back at the barn. So 15 versus 12. The statistics tells us these numbers are too similar or there was too much variation. We can't take many drawings from that. So that was quite interesting. But that sort of says to me that, you know, cows are needing more than just a couple of times a day. Mm -hmm. So we need to look at giving them a bit more opportunity to reduce their their heat loading throughout the day as well as just at the cow shed. The soaker use increased with THI. So we're looking back at that temperature humidity index, which Mm -hmm. we'll get into a bit more in a minute. But The soaker use increased as the temperature and humidity or how hot the environment sort of felt. So Mm. what was quite interesting, we did this regression test. So it's a statistical type of test where we look at if the changes in temperature humidity index, the THI, is there a change associated with the shower use? Mm. There was no significant changes when there was no time delay. So if the temperature got hotter this hour, the shower use didn't change straight away. We could see when we looked at these on a graph that there was a similar trend. So we used these fancy fancy statistic model, models that we can do, mm-hmm. and we asked the computer, you know, what's the best fit? So it worked out that when the temperature humidity plus five hours, when there was a five-hour delay, that's when the behavior changed. It was the coolest time, which was about 6 a.m. on, these, on this study, mm-hmm. or the temperature humidity was the lowest, the shower use would be the lowest five hours later at like 11 ah, o'clock in the morning. That's interesting. And same with hottest. So when it was the hottest, the temperature humidity index was the highest. Mm-hmm. It was around 2 p.m. for the environment, like it, like it is everywhere. Two o'clock in the afternoon is the hottest time. Five hours later is when the shower use would be the highest. Mm-hmm. And that was about 7 o'clock the this This sort of just gives us a bit of an indication about how long it takes for the cows they sort of almost soak this heat up and it starts this heat loading and so it takes a little while you know the environment changes it's getting hotter or colder, and then it's it's slowly changing how the cows loaded it into her body or how how much she's able to dissipate that heat through you know panting or through her skin that sort of things it was interesting too that overnight that that it slowly reduced it wasn't like a sharp change you know sun's gone down it's cool now it was a slow reduction so that Mm. sort of feeds back into that heat loading piece as well
0: Absolutely. Tell me, Laurie, the temperatures in Kentucky, for those who haven't been to Kentucky and certainly in the summer, what sort of temperature ranges were you talking about, overnight temperatures through to peak heat load that you had to suffer along with the cows? Oh,
1: gosh. Um, the humidity, first of all, was really high. We experienced some of that here around Christmas time. I can remember it felt a bit nostalgic to me. So these humidities <laughs> over there were Huge, um, But alongside with that, the temperatures were really high too. I Mm. think, I remember a day may have got to 42 when I checked. Oh,
0: right. Very toasty.
1: very hot, very Mm. humid. It did feel like you're walking around in a sauna there. So um, parts of the US, the little hot points for heat stress studies, you know, Florida, places like that. Mm -hmm. But Kentucky through the summer there, we could get to some really hot temperatures to really... Put some of these tests with heat stress to use. I suppose put that weather to use. Absolutely, <laughs> and you're see how in how right we, place. Totally, how we can um, how cows experience it, and then how we can help cool them down too.
0: That's amazing. Well, look, Laurie, that's some amazing data. And just to reiterate, that people want to read your journal, of dairy science papers. They are open access. You don't have to go through an academic institution. So if you Google that, it'll take you into Journal of Dairy Science or search within Journal of Dairy Science or we can put a link to those papers in the show notes just to make it easier for listeners because that's very fascinating work and uh, it's interesting that five hour time lag and it makes me think of using feed formulation programs such as the CNCPS based ones that will have a current temperature and temperature in the previous 24 hours which sums up exactly why, and you've showed that very elegantly. So that's amazing. The work you've done, you've shown a a tremendous understanding of how a cow responds. Coming back to some of the terms you've used, THI, temperature, humidity, index, and everything... Can you step us through in more detail about why do cows do what they do? They seek the showers. I have visions of them scrubbing under their arms with soap, <laughs> and that I can't get that out of my head. But whether we showers, but how does heat bother cows? We've seen them tonguing. We've seen them shade seeking.
1: Yeah. How does it
0: all work? What what happens when they get hot, heat stressed, and and, and bothered?
1: Yeah, good question. So that cows have a thermoneutral zone. It's around 5 to 25 degrees Celsius. And I say around because there's other factors that go into how they experience that. So probably the most simple measure is that THI index, the temperature mm-hmm. humidity index. This is designed to better understand how the environment is actually felt. And I'd say it's more likely the most common one used on things like heat stress studies because it is cheap and easy to measure.
0: Mm. You know, if
1: we don't know, we can go online and we can check local data. We can get pretty cheap little temperature, humidity, measure measuring tools that we can have mm. in our pocket. It's very cheap and easy to understand. Better models could include solar radiation and wind speed and things like that, but for Mm -hmm. the purpose of, you know, what we're talking about here, I don't think we need to overcomplicate things, but I think it's nice to note them, though, because we can keep in the back of our mind, you know, direct sun or no wind could make the temperature humidity index still feel worse than if you were, say, in a barn or a feed pad that had some nice Mm -hmm. wind or some fans going on. So, yeah, it's understanding how the cows are actually perceiving this weather as opposed to just looking on an app on our phone and you know oh, it's only 26 degrees today the cows will be doing fine. It's about looking in a bit further. So temperature humidity index or THI when it's less than 70 it's comfortable. So they use the temperature and humidity in a bit of an equation and they come up with a number if it's less than 70 it's comfortable So when the humidity is high, which we often experience in New Zealand, heat stress can start happening as low as 22 degrees Celsius. So remember I said that thermoneutral zone is around 5 to 25, but it is dependent Mm, on these other mm. factors. Mild heat stress, when that THI number falls between 72 and 75, mild heat stress can start as low as 23 degrees. And as soon as we're creeping up into the higher 20s, you know, 28, 29 or even 30 degrees with high humidity, we can be getting into that higher level of heat stress. Even mild heat stress, it's starting to become quite serious to some of the implications it has for cows. But certainly when mm. we're getting hotter with high humidity, those higher levels of heat stress, it's starting to become quite serious for cows. So outside that comfortable environment for cows, below 70 THI, metabolic requirements start to increase with the physiological Mm. stress from trying to thermoregulate. This means we can start to notice behaviour changes. And I know a lot of people out there have behaviour monitoring technology on their cows now. So Mm, heat mm. stress components and things loaded into some of those. And I I work with some of my clients on that. It's quite interesting to look at that data, certainly. We can see on our behaviour monitoring technology that we've got out there on farm, we can see standing time will increase, feeding time Mm. will decrease, and studies have looked into that a little further, where the feeding bouts or the number of meals decrease as well, mm. so they're doing this slug feeding behaviour, which I'll link back to in a little bit but the not only is the amount they're eating but the way they're eating changes. Mm. The rumination decreases, and we'll also notice i think you said something about it earlier charlotte where we notice some of this shade seeking behaviours or they're congregating at water troughs and mm. other things that are a bit more obvious you know, just to eye with us on farm. Something we'll definitely notice is the milk production dropping. This is because of the metabolic changes associated with heat stress. So the way they're mm. using the energy and their diet and things is spent cooling themselves down. They'll also, you may have noticed this, they sometimes will avoid fibrous feeds. Mm. It's obviously a challenge in the summer. And you've talked about this in the part one of the, part of the heat stress section of the podcast, but mm. The fibrous feeds are obviously a lot higher in the summer which has its own issues around quality, rooming capacity, the ME or protein requirements, what the cow needs versus what she's actually able to get in her diet to support milk production mm. separately to that increase in energy expenditure on cooling them down. So milk production is dropping from a couple of things here of through the summer. The fiber as well, that it takes longer to break down. So the fibre sitting around in that rumen while it's breaking down, it takes slower to break down. That's all just fueling that heat chamber created Mm -hmm. by rumen fermentation. Um, And that's, you know, it's just keeping that heat loading picture happening in the cow there too. So she might be avoiding some of those fibrous feeds for that reason. That sort of links through to my next point of the, the risks involved with that in, in acidosis with the change in feeding. And I'll link back to that comment I made about slug feeding now too. Sure. I often see, you know, we do have these fibrous fe- feeds on farm. We might be topping them up with some feed in the on the feed pad or in the cow shed or something like that. And with those are quite often we're trying to get all this energy into hold on to that milk production That's as it. best yeah. we can. Yeah. And the cows, if they've avoided the fibrous feed, which is mostly just out in the paddock Mm. um, when we're balancing diets, if they've avoided that or as much as we've balanced for that and then they come in and hoover up everything we're offering them and that really yum feed um, to give them all their energy, this is just a recipe for acidosis or at Mm -hmm. least SARA, subacute ruminal acidosis. So Mm -hmm. thinking about all those changes in feeding, like I mentioned before, rumination changes and time spent that's normally – Feeding in the paddock or sitting down ruminating is now spent seeking shade, and of all of these link hands and are disrupting rumen balance. Mm. Lastly, I think that the biggest, most easiest change that everyone can notice is there's an increase of respiration rate, or they mm. start panting. I'm, I'm sure we've all seen that driving around in the summer. Respiration rate or panting, that's a method of evaporative cooling, and um, they get evaporative cooling as well by heat loss in the skin. When I was having a look through my dissertation to do this podcast, Charlotte, I noticed a neat fact that I found in there when temperatures are above 30 degrees Celsius, 15% of heat loss is through panting Mm -hmm. and 85% is through the skin. So when we notice them panting, that's actually just, you know, such a small piece of them trying Mm -hmm. to get rid of this heat. Their, Their whole body is trying to sweat and, you know, pick up a little bit of wind or whatever just to start moving. So Evaporative cooling, they're trying to evaporate water. So they're trying to do that by panting through their lungs or their skin, like I mentioned, was sweating. So it's quite obvious, but it's important to note that when humidity or the amount of moisture in the air increases, the effectiveness of evaporative cooling decreases. So that's, I guess, links back to why we look at humidity and that temperature humidity index. Mm. It's
0: really interesting about... Uh, the increased respiratory rate, Laurie, and I think it, it sort of follows on really, really well from your previous comments around rumen acidosis because, for sure, increased respiratory rate is certainly something we can all keep an eye out for with our cows. You know, when you're getting upwards mm. of 50, 60 breaths per minute, we're sort of looking at that with some concern. But it's really interesting, you've covered acidosis, then respiratory rate. Mm. And just for the listeners, it's something really interesting here that connects your two very important comments. Uh, about rumen acidosis and respiratory rate together because the increased respiratory rate in its own right isn't really ideal when we've already got a cow at risk of rumen acidosis. for example, as you say, eating too much grain, they've backed off the amount of forage they're consuming and, and all of that. And I suppose one comment here is that why increased respiratory rates, and certainly even when cows have their tongues out and are drooling when they're really, really hot, that can make a rumen acidosis issue even worse aside from those starchy concentrates. So a bit of explanation here, I guess, Laurie, just to um, add mm. a, another comment in here, is that it might sound a little odd to the listener who's tuned in today, why cows breathing too fast and drooling increases risk of rumen acidosis. But look, first up in a nutshell, when they are breathing too quickly, certainly as you explained, that will help reduce their heat load. The problem is, is that increases uh, the loss of carbon dioxide from the cow and indirectly through a series of <laughs> long and boring steps, this indirectly will contribute to loss of blood bicarbonate in the urine and that's not ideal at the same time uh, as cows are having issues with rumen acidosis. And for the cows that are really drawling and going for it when they are very, very hot, all of the saliva that's dropping on the ground is uh, Mother Nature's power pack of. Rumen buffers that uh, instead of going on the ground if thus swallowed, that helps offset rumen acidosis uh, with the presence of sodium bicarbonate phosphate buffers. So when we lose it on the ground when they're drooling, that also increases risk of rumen acidosis. So sorry to jump in there, Laurie, but it's just fascinating that you'd put acidosis and respiratory rate together in one part, and then I was just going to join the dots together there. Laurie, that's fabulous telling us about the nuts and bolts of how cows respond and what are some of the practical farm level because I know you're a very practical person that what can we do at the level of the farm to start to help our cows to be more resilient during these hotter periods of time?
1: I tried to break this down because I know you know we're in New Zealand we don't have these great big barns and things like what I did my master's in and I'd like to just maybe go through shade and exercise and and some nice to have suggestions Mm -hmm. if people want to go a bit further or understand what they what's out there for options for heat stress but I think just considering shade and what exercise we're making these cows do on our farms that's that's just some things we could maybe have in the back of our mind we could maybe make a few changes it's it's easy to consider some of these things and we could put some of them into play this summer on our farms so just to go into shade first of all all of us know cows prefer shade to no shade on a hot day just like us can see them out there congregating under trees if they're lucky enough to have them in the paddocks um, so just I mm, mean that's quite yeah. obvious and, and studies have also had to do that research to show that some interesting shade studies that I've read um, that stand out to me is there was one that I read about a lying deprivation study so after 12 hours of mm-hmm. lying deprivation cows would rather continue to stand in the shade than to lie in no shade so say that again, because wow. yeah, it takes. Sometimes when I'm listening to your podcast, Charlotte, I'll be driving and it. T- I have to rewind it so I will save people the hassle. Um, after 12 hours, a half a day, they've made these cows stand, and then they offer them mm-hmm. continue standing, but you get some shade, or you can go and have a lie down, but that's in the sun. They'll choose to continue standing mm. in the shade. Wow. That just yeah, sort of it helps us understand the motivation to shade seeking, I suppose, when it's hot. Mm, mm, Another study mm. that um, had a look at the cows. This was more, you know, how much, how how long do we need to offer them shade for? So they just looked after ten minutes, ten minutes minutes of popping them in the shade and ten minutes of popping them in no shade. Their body temperature changed. Mm-hmm. So ten minutes in the shade, their body temperature will start to decrease, versus ten minutes wow. in no shade, and it will start to increase. So I think yes. that speaks to me in our New Zealand situation here. That you know, if you oh, you know, oh, I could put them in that paddock, but there's a bit of shade there, but it'll only be for X amount of time, you know, because you've already grazed it. Or is it worth doing that? Or oh, I'll hold them here mm. for half an hour or an hour because that's going to be better. But there's but there's no shade there. Um, it's just about thinking about these things. Those those even ten minutes does actually make a change to how they're perceiving it. So just keeping that in the back of your mind, I suppose, might just help alleviate that heat a little bit that day for your herd. Another study that was quite interesting was they offered cows shade with a higher temperature versus cows no shade with a lower temperature. The cows with shade in a higher temperature had a lower respiration rate than the cows with no shade in a lower temperature. So I just think that one's really interesting because it just goes to show that if you offer them some shade, even on a hotter day, it just means they can hack it a bit longer or they, you know, it's dropping that respiration rate, it's meaning they can just hang in there a bit longer till it drops off at night time or something yeah yeah just one more shade study because I think this is so interesting they also tested how much like area wise so we looked at time before but this was an area sort of study Is you know is more better or does it not really matter and they tested a 9.6 square meter shade area per cow versus a 2.4 square meter shade area per cow and with the the bigger, the 9.6 square metres shade per cow, they spent twice as long as the 2.4 square metre area. So when they were in that 2.4 square metre area as well, they actually started reverting back to some of those behaviours of like congregating at the water trough again and that sort of thing. So this is getting right. into that nice to have area, it's area of things. But the more shade, obviously mm-hmm. the longer as well, but the bigger area. And I think that's just speaking back into that evaporative cooling piece of You know, if they've got some Mm -hmm, shade, they mm. can actually have some space between them. They can get a bit of air around them and it can support that evaporative cooling through their skin. So some keys to shade. I think just the number one is some is better than none. Whether that's the length of time offered, it just gives them a bit of a break Mm -hmm. or any size area really. Obviously, like I just said before, large is better than smaller, but any is key.
0: That shade story is amazing and I think it's pretty compelling and certainly supports things like our Farm at St Peter's at Cambridge who are doing a lot of strategic planting and I guess, you know, climate change and all these horrible things. We do need to think what the future cow needs. With with the shade another question obviously that comes up and I know a lot of people are already doing this really well is walking cows further in the heat of the day obviously we want to be doing it in the cool of the day. What does the exercise mean for the cow? If she's busy walking continuously that must heat her up or tell us your knowledge about exercise and, and heat stress.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely um, you're being on there so I mean we know just in ourselves when we exercise our respiration increases and our body temperature often does too. Mm. So when we're walking our cows, it's doing the same thing. And increase of respiration rate, increase of body temperature, those things are already going on with heat stress and, you know, it's a hot day. So we're just adding to that problem by taking them for a long walk on farm. I think just to link back to that shade piece as well, when we're taking them for these long walks, I don't know about you, Charlotte, but I don't often notice a great big shady area that they get to walk under. It's often right out in the middle between paddocks. Mm. We're walking them out in the beating sun as well. So I think just you know considering that I love it when people put all their you know cropping or maize or something that's all out there for silage that's all on the outside paddocks lovely if you can do mm. it but it's just considering that there was a study actually a pasture-based study too that showed when you stop exercising, and you give them a cooling treatment their respiration drops down pretty quick so if you're walking them to the cow shed or something like that and you're taking them to the feed pad you know maybe doing that before milking had be an opportunity mm-hmm. to offer them some of that shade mm-hmm. if it's covered mm-hmm. then they can go into the cow shed where they're a bit crammed in there for a little while in the in the yard and it just lets them you know catch their breath get a bit of that shade that cooling treatment reduce that respiration rate down again before they're asked to walk back to another mm, paddock another thing is just, I think it links back to my study a little bit about that heat loading piece. So you, you touched on it there, Charlotte, about thinking about when you're moving them or when that longer walk is. If we can think about our walks and our distances, and offer the shorter walks in the evening or their day paddocks, you know, those ones have if they're getting a day paddock, those are the shorter walks because that's the time that they're often experiencing the heat at the hottest. It's the hottest time of the day. And that loading is called up with them as well. If we're um, shifting some non milkers or uh, we've got a long walk to do, if we could do that in the morning, um, <laughs> lovely to have to, to theoretically do this the best way possible. But if it's possible to do that in the morning, that's when it's cooler and, and that heat loading piece. So rather than waiting, you know, till the temperature drops off at night and that heat loading has potentially cooled up with them, if we can do it in the morning when they're experiencing it the lowest, it might just help them to not add to that heat load again, Mm. increase that respiration rate and just make it a bit harder for them to cool down because they've got to catch their breath at the end of the exercise and then work on cooling themselves down.
0: Absolutely. So that's shade and exercise and obviously the exercise has to happen, the the girls have to move around. What are some other farm level strategic things if people are aware that they have heat stress issues in their cows that they could look at in the longer term perhaps talking to the bank and, and looking for other opportunities of things to do at farm level that could help push this heat stress load down even further? Yeah
1: so I mean we want to do this while we're taking into consideration shade and exercise obviously but the soaking I mean there's just so much research there that shows us how well soaking cows can help drop mm-hmm. their temperature and, and alleviate some of those symptoms of heat stress so um, we're not talking about misters because that would increase the humidity potentially. We want these cows wet and we want to have space between the wet cows to enable that evaporative cooling because that's what's cooling them down. So, if you are going to the bank or something like that, or you've got some sort of system already on farm, if you can think about, you know, how is this allowing them to evaporative cool? Or am I actually cramming these cows together when I'm soaking them and it's, you know, it's just making a big sauna and it's pr- very likely making the heat stress actually worse. Mm. So if you've got the soakers already or you're looking at putting something like that in, just thinking about, you know, how is this helping the cow? What am I trying to achieve mm-hmm. here? Um, how is this actually going to help her cool down? It's all important. Yeah. The next thing as well that we can keep in the back of our mind is just around airflow, whether that's fans or prevailing winds you know if you're looking at putting something like a feed pad area in or you're looking at getting some sort of I don't know if you if your workers are all very hot in the cow shed and you're wanting to put some fans in there making it a bit bigger or on the right angle that the cows can get a little bit of that as well it's just all trying to move the air it's all feeding into that evaporative cooling Mm -hmm. piece
0: Oh Laurie that's fantastic and yes when we're thinking about things with cows we we have to think about workers and us on farm too because of course we get hot and bothered so that's a win-win if you can look after cows and workers together I love that point. So we've touched briefly on nutrition and that was mentioned in the previous podcast uh, where I talked about DOMD and NDFD digestibility of fibre and you've touched on that too. What can we be thinking aside, Oh, you can touch on pastures too, but otherwise the listeners can go back to the previous podcast about pasture management and pasture species, but what do we need to be thinking about if we're planning for the coming summer, let's say if anyone's listening to this midwinter and thinking what might they be able to do differently from the diet point of view to look after that rumen to try and work on reducing the heat load that's actually coming from the rumen itself?
1: Yeah, just... Another note too if if people are actually thinking of doing implementing this this summer, I think is totally available because our summers go on for so long, and especially with the diet that 's something you can change on the cows today or next week, and it will start helping support her and like I mentioned about that big heat chamber of her room and if we 're changing that for her, it might just help alleviate this stress so. I just want to (laughs) stress that it's not too late to put these changes in this summer too. If this is something that is available or for you to start talking with your nutritionist about and you can change things on farm now for this summer, then go for it. We know we might Mm -hmm. be looking at a bit of a long summer here and it could could change things on farm for you now. So some things that I think could help is around obviously that fibre piece. So fibre levels in the diet and understanding you know where that fiber source is coming from I suppose is it all out in the paddock or am I ask, am I setting this cow up to slug feed with offering her all of that concentrated starchy sort of stuff all together maybe you could balance some of this out and offer her a little bit more maybe a yummier type of you know silagey lower fiber but still definitely have that fiber in there sort of feed just mixing it through that's more of a feed pad situation Mm, i mm. suppose or working with your feed rep to get something in the silo that you know it's not full of fiber because you've got so much out in the paddock but just trying not to set them up for just a real opportunity to light that (laughs) light that rumen on fire with a whole heap of acidosis as well won't go there no (laughs) just as well understanding the cow requirements i've mentioned a couple of opportunities there where the cow's not getting enough energy into her diet Mm. where she's either using more energy to cool herself down or she's struggling with her room and capacity to get enough feed in there so just looking at cow requirements you know having that discussion um, with your nutritionist or I mean I do a lot of this in my role out there as well when we're balancing diets and just understanding mm. properly how much fiber is actually going in what are these cow requirements and when am I doing it I remember back a couple of summers ago when I first moved into the Waikato from Northland and I worked with a neat guy. Hello, Ethan, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we talked a lot about heat stress that summer and we sort of thought, you know, his chicory was planted really close around his cow shed, and we thought, you know, well, what if we offer them the chicory in the hottest time of the day when they're just, every time we offer them ryegrass, they're just going and sitting down, basically refusing this feed and it, it might be budgeted into... Uh, their diet, but they're not really getting a lot of it. If we offer them this chicory in the hottest time of the day, it's much lower fibre. We were able to fill those cows up a lot more efficiently Mm -hmm. because they were getting a lower fibre feed through the day. They'd still get topped up with some concentrate in the cow shed as well and then we could give them that more fibrous, that rye pasture out through the night where it was cooler, there was a better opportunity for them to take a minute to Mm -hmm. cool down and then actually go and eat it and overall we ended up you know, I think we filled those cows up a lot better if we'd done mm. that in maybe a different order or not considered it. Mm. So just working through all of that, that sort of leads me on as well because on that farm we did put in a live yeast there. Um, Nutrotech do a Yeast C. Mm-hmm. It's just important to note if you're looking at live yeast, make sure it's well researched, obviously. Absolutely. There's so much research out there that shows that these live yeast they can mitigate some of the heat stress effects because they improve fiber digestibility, so help it move through the rumen. Mm. They can actually get a bit more energy or it helps make that fiber more available to the cow through that improved digestion. Um, and they and they support rumen pH too. So it's just, again, mm. supporting them away from the acidosis or SARA. And, and those two points together with those live yeast just help improve cow health and ultimately improve that milk production piece too, because it's just supporting the breakdown of those nutrients we're offering and the health of the room, and so she can do it too.
0: Absolutely. There are some good tips and tricks there for sure. I mean, um, obviously we don't want a highly fibrous feed, but we don't lo- want lots of starch either, so different types of starch, could be anything that's got soluble fibre in it. Loved your chicory comment at Ethan's and uh, (laughs) we talked about chicory in the previous podcast because chicory, whether you have it as a crop or within the sward, but provided it's got its deep taproot down into moisture, it's quite tolerant of heat stress in its own right. So you can listen into the previous podcast, number 43, about the value of chicory. It's just quite tolerant to the hotter weather and will keep growing, provided it's got its toes into some water. Obviously it gives up the ghost, Mm. it'll give up the ghost from a moisture deficit. point of view but I know there's other ways about energy density as well and and I started my nutrition journey in life working as a young vet with Sue Mackey and I recall Sue Mackey was very positive about putting for very high performing cows putting a room protected fat in with a diet if you mm. are feeding on the feed pad so that's feeding in pardon the pun exactly what you're saying about we've got to keep energy density up because on average the appetite's down both from an NDF fill factor in the room and as you say, and just because she doesn't graze, because she's standing around trying to dissipate heat and doesn't <laughs> want to do much. So energy density's king, isn't it? And then opportunities yeah. for reputable yeast-based products, exactly as you're saying, to improve fibre digestibility because wow, the NDF goes up in our heat stress pastures, particularly ryegrass, and the NDFD or digestibility of NDF crashes. And we don't do a lot of NDFD measuring in New Zealand. Our overseas listeners will be infuriated about that, saying, talk more about NDF of our pastures, or NDFD. <laughs> we don't do that. So uh, I'm loving that. But yeah, Sue was always about, particularly if you're looking for returning cows sort of been mated and, and you get those phantom cows, just sometimes a little bit of uh, rumen bypass fat can work really, really well there too. It's just something else that she taught me when I was a young vet. And, and yes, it's costly, but so is missing these returning cows if it's starting to get hot as early as November.
1: The rumen protected fat, too charlotte um, i notice it quite often goes into up here my autumn calving mm-hmm. farmers um and their diets when they're you know it's still so hot mm. and they're calving down mm. um and they're trying to maintain that body condition going into another round of mating and it's just look it's just a, a way that you can get some yeah energy dense feed in a time where their rooming capacity is just absolutely pushed to its limit
0: Absolutely. So that's really about reproductive sustainability. And whilst you might say, yeah, the payout's up a wee bit, but that's, that's a big cost, you know, Laurie and Charlotte. What are you talking about? <laughs> but it's about preserving reproductive performance because they are in that negative energy balance hole, if you'd like, mm. um, where they're not eating. And if you can preserve cow condition, whilst it might put might not put uh, milk in the vat right now, uh, it's just going to keep you in a, a better state and allowing them to peak because often they don't peak because they haven't got a lot of body condition score on them. When they peak lactation in late autumn, early winter. so look, that's fabulous, you've seen that in the in the autumn period as well. And any other tips and tricks i've I've got a couple of questions I'd love to ask <laughs> on behalf of the listeners, otherwise they can come into the room and room and and put a post up and get more questions of you. But anything else you know that around the nutrition side that's worked for you on farm with Ethan and your other clients that you work with?
1: Yeah, I think pillars just really, You know, sitting down with someone that understands nutrition, understands this, particularly this fibre piece and the heat stress piece, and what products or feeds that you have available on farm or that are out there and fit within your budgets or have good return on investments to make sense to feed at this time. So Laurie,
0: everyone on farm, of course, knows the importance of, for hot bothered cows, to offer them plenty of good quality clean stock water, uh, and obviously enough access, you know, so all cows can easily access this. Can you help us out by stepping us through with a little bit more information about the importance for our hot and bothered cows to have a decent water supply and uh, and water access for cows that are really hot and bothered?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's quite easy sometimes to overlook the water side of things. So making sure that there's enough water offered, whether that's on a feed pad, uh, make sure there's obviously some there if you're feeding somewhere in the paddock. Make sure that there's enough opportunity for the cows to you know, go and have their share and that the types of the size pipes that you've got going there are actually able to refill that water quick enough too because when they go for a drink of water, they drink a lot in the summer. Dairings, you'd sort of give a figure of around, gosh, 120 litres or something a day per cow. I think, I think for me anyway, there's always variation with cows. So whatever the number is, if you can double that, you're always going to have enough, you know. On those really hot days, you don't want to be ripping the cows off of water. Water's milk. Making sure that there's enough, if you can avoid burying your pipe the alkaine pipe in that too shallow just to try and encourage that water to be as cool as it can because drinking out of hot tap's never any good either, that can all be helpful, but certainly water is key um, if you if there's other opportunities that you can offer it, you know if they if they are, unfortunately, on a yard or something like that um, around the cow shed for too long or, or an extended amount of time for various reasons, if there's an opportunity to pop some more water then, then it's,
0: it's always good. Absolutely. And of course, we've got our, our <laughs> necessary evil of zinc and zinc sulfate. Obviously, the efficacy of zinc sulfate through the stock water isn't ideal. That's probably another topic another day for a podcast around getting zinc into cows. But how do we go when we start... Sort of, uh, we're trying to help our cows, but inadvertently we can do a bit of unintended collateral damage with zinc sulfate, too much zinc sulfate in the water?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 needed in much of New Zealand now through the summer with the facial eczema risk, certainly for parts of the summer. So I think just thinking about how you're doing it, um, are you able to offer the zinc through a couple of different sources to reduce how much you're putting in that water because it is tainting the flavour? can make sure that there's flavorings and things included there but the less we put in there the better I think Charlotte so if if there is the opportunity to do it a different way um, just to encourage them to drink as much as they can or at least split some of that zinc out in another method then that's that's probably more ideal yeah
0: and of course, we've talked about zinc, and the same can be said for earlier on in the season for spring calf cows when uh, many of us will be putting magnesium chloride or magnesium sulphate through the water, and that can, of course, make the stock water taste particularly bitter as well. And you'll see that if cows start drinking out of puddles or out of um, non inline water dispenser treated water so really important uh, from magnesium uh, as well as zinc sulfate not to back our cows off water.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely Um, you're being on there. As far as
0: the uh, talking to you nutritionist around the diet there's so many different cow wearables technology out there nowadays with There's so much data that comes from this. What some of the things that those that do have access to wearable technologies, what sort of things should they be monitoring for uh, with all of that vast data that comes out? What are the key things that can be useful to monitor for heat stress and picking it up early on, perhaps before cows' respiratory rates go up, perhaps before they start tonguing and getting into quite a bit of distress
1: yeah well like you mentioned there's so many out there and they do all measure well some of them measure slightly different things so I know that there are some of them out there that do offer portals or extra packages if you like that offer a heat stress alert so definitely paying attention to those some of them will even give a gradient so you can understand you know is it, is it not too bad or is it very bad or how are the cows reacting And that's taking some of those behaviourable variables that I mentioned earlier. So around, you know, feeding, standing, lying, ruminating, Um, depending on what of those it measures, it will take that into the algorithm and give you a flag that way. So I suppose if you understand, you know, if you've had this technology on for a good, at least even just a year um, and you've seen how their behaviour is through the cooler months, outside of mating obviously but you can see what their normal behavior is and when it's starting to deviate from that and you're thinking oh rumination's dropping a bit or if it's if it's you know measuring some of these other sort of more resting behaviors you know these are changing from normal you can go out and there's a lot of vet practices out there that have people that are working closely with these companies I certainly do a good lot of it with my job because of my background with my master's um, but There are rural professionals out there that you can have that conversation with. Even if you don't have this technology on, you know, there are other ways like that respiration rate that you can see that and then we can start to talk about how, how, which options are available to you to help alleviate that on your farm through the summer.
0: Well, look, you're a wealth of knowledge, Laurie, and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy day to join us today uh, to take our listeners through. Firstly, that really interesting cows having showers and what, you know, we we think of cows as a herd of cows and we forget they're very much individuals just like us. So that's fascinating work, and I'm certainly going to be downloading those papers and having a good look. So thanks for the heads up on that. While we're on the topic of information, for people that have really enjoyed this podcast and want to learn more about not only the mechanisms of heat stress, but most importantly, what they can do to help their cows. What's some places, you know, the, the internet's vast out there. What's some information that you've enjoyed looking at and could recommend to three to our listeners?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, there, like you say, there's tons of information out there. So it's as deep of a hole as you want to get down if you want to go. But um, I think the Dairy NZ site's just a nice, easy place that we can go. Um, There's some information there about respiration rates, about how much time is spent, you know, in some of these hot areas. It breaks it down by region and things. It gives you a little bit more information there. So I think it's a really nice starting point for people if they're wanting to start this journey and then you can keep digging down the rabbit hole into papers like mine if you want to. Um, yeah, there's a few other bits and pieces out there that you can find. It just depends, I suppose, where in New Zealand you are and what information you're looking for.
0: Absolutely. And certainly Dairy Australia is another place you can go for information and, and yeah, you Google it, you'll get it. And particularly out of the States, mm. as you said, the hottest states continue in yeah. you, your case that, that you remember in, in Florida, as you say. So there is a wealth of information out there, or ask your rural professional that you trust, um, you know, to help you. And we've, we've talked about, you know, the vet can be involved, the, you know, your, your um, tech support from your cow wearables. There's just, there's a lot of people to help you on this journey. So don't feel that you're battling mm. um, heat stress and your cows on your own. There's a lot of good people. Talk about it uh, and, and find out more information. But look, All I can say, Laurie, is thanks so much for joining us. Um, I know that I'm speaking on behalf of our listeners that we've really loved having you on your podcast podcast today. Um, You're obviously a very passionate person uh, about all things to do with heat stress, and and you are, of course, a wealth of knowledge as well, so doing everything to help our hot and bothered cows. But look, what we'll do is we'll wrap up now on behalf of myself, um, Charlotte Westwood, and our sponsors PGG Rights and Seeds. Thanks heaps, not only to you, Laurie, but also for our listeners for taking time to tune in today, wherever they are driving around, tractor work, uh, airpods in, milking or whatever you've been up to. It's been great having us, um, being able to help fill your day and Hope that uh, Laurie's expertise around hot cows has been helpful and uh, can make a difference to your cows. But in the meantime, for anything else to do with ruminant nutrition or if you want to ask any questions or post your own post about your experiences dealing with nutrition as it relates to heat stress or anything else to do with heat stress for that matter, obviously head over to Facebook. Search up the Room and Room. If you're not a member, join on in. We'd love to have you join us. We're, we're about six and a half or 6,700 or something members in there. And uh, join in on our Ruminate Nutrition community. But thanks, Laurie. Appreciate everything. And everyone listening in, hope you have an amazing day out and about, whatever you're up to. Cheers.